0: I'm Chad. And I'm Cheese. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Our podcast covers news, startups, AI, automation, programmatic, and all the things the kids are excited about. (laughs) And then we drown it with a healthy dose of snark, attitude, and four-letter words. Subscribe to the Chad and Cheese Podcast today, wherever you listen to your podcasts. The danger when my five-year-old daughter asks to play a game is that there are no set rules. And more importantly, on a certain level, without the rules, there's no way of keeping score. So if we're playing balloon tennis, which, by the way, is a great way to keep my daughter moving and active in quarantine town here, is you can move the balloon and tap the balloon in different spaces. Now, her goal is to keep the balloon from hitting the ground. Obviously, everybody knows how to play balloon or balloon tennis. But she likes to pretend that sometimes when it hits the ground, it doesn't count. It's not her fault. It doesn't count. And then she's not even counting. She's not keeping score. She has some sort of weird metric in her head that says she's doing great. By the way, the confidence of your average white uh, male has nothing on the confidence of my five-year-old daughter. I don't know where she gets it, but she is queen of the, the darn universe, by the way. You can't tell her nothing. That will be an issue down the road. But that is not the conversation we're about to have. Metrics and scoring, more than anything, isn't just about who wins it's about help helping you understand if you're getting better if you're doing it better when usain bolt runs and practices he i'm sure he has some sort of standardized practice he runs and he realizes, okay, I'm running faster. That means my prep work, my exercise, my diet, my headspace, whatever it is, is helping me get better. Or if he's running slower, he goes, ah, something's wrong. I need to tweak that. Right. The, the score, such as it is, helps you understand how well you're progressing, not just in the game itself, but in the practice of it right? If you're playing a game of, of American football, and I say this because lots of Brits listen, so I have to preface with American. If you're playing American football and you're consistently winning just by three points, okay, you're not getting much better. If you're winning by three points and then you're winning by 10 points and then you're winning by 30 points and you're not always playing the Browns, hey, that is, you're progressing. The score helps you understand that you are doing better. Why do I bring this up? Well, in Employer Brand, we have all sorts of metrics we like to throw around and pretend are metrics, but nothing really hits us like a score does. And I wonder, if we took things to extreme, could we figure out what the ultimate scoring system for Employer Brand could be? And I have an idea that I'd like to run past you when we come back. Welcome to the Talent Cast, the world's most caffeinated Employer Brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellison. And I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing. I love how it's changing. And I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking. And that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between between those the big ideas and the getting the details right so we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way ready to rock one two three let's go hey how you doing james ellis here recording live from chicago it is a beautiful saturday morning my wife and daughter are out for a walk they are wearing masks because that's what you should do um housekeeping hey uh the books are doing pretty good i think uh, people are starting to to take a look at it people are interested in it the first one is live it's called the employer brand handbook volume one the real world guide to working with recruiters it is literally a step-by-step do this type this say this do here's the checklist here's what you build here's an example of how it looks here's who you should talk to instruction set on how to build projects that turn your recruiting skeptics into employer brand champions Take a look at it on Amazon. In about four weeks, the second book, the Talent Chooses You book, the big strategy book, that comes out. We'll talk more about that. But anyway, uh, you feel free to pre-order it if you like, also on Amazon everything's discounted because it's still early and i want to get people excited about this stuff so this is the time to buy otherwise sign up for the newsletter and it's employerbrand.news it's how you keep up to date and get good information and tips and tricks and ideas and and keep your brain moving and grooving even though it's in quarantine town here right (laughs) so there you go let's get back to gaming and scoring so the way that, let's talk about game theory for a second now i, I talked about game theory even not game theory not game theory in a prisoner's dilemma kind of game theory but more now what is a game what constitutes a game and there are four rules four concepts around a game that any game has to meet otherwise it's not a game that is one there are rules two there are semi arbitrary constraints three uh, there's a scoring system in four that it's voluntary. So if you think about uh, soccer or football, you know, here is a game where here is a a, size, a shape of a, of a pitch, of a field. Um, you get one point for putting the ball in the, the goal. You can't use your hands unless you're the goalie. That's a constraint, right? Um, here's some time limits. Here's some scoring systems. And if, you, if I have to put a gun to your head to make you play, it's not really a game, right? It it's, you know, has to be voluntary. So that's what it constitutes a game. And a game that, that scoring system, again, it tells you how well you're doing. It tells you if you're progressing as you practice, that scoring system says, I am learning something, I'm getting better at this game. So the scoring system suggests that what you're doing is overcoming the constraint. Right? So if you're playing soccer and football, and you're not allowed to use your foot, your your feet, or I'm sorry, you're not allowed to use your hands. The score says, this is how well you are, how well you're doing, moving the ball with your feet and potentially your head and chest, right? Those are the things you're allowed to touch it with. Um, the score says you are doing a better job using your feet and your non-hand type bodies to, that's those which are the constraints, to move the ball into the goal, which is what the goal is, right? Very simple. The score doesn't just say you win or you lose, it's about because you have a practicing and because you're doing it, so you take a look at Messi. He is uh, one of the best people. He, his, his ability to move a ball with his feet is, is almost unparalleled. We can talk about Ronaldo versus Messi later. But the score, his ability to score, is his way of saying, this is how good I am at moving the ball with my feet. Simple as that. So if we take the back to employer brand, we have to ask ourselves, if we want to keep score what would we want to measure? What is the constraint we're working against? What is our goal in employer branding? Now that, of course, opens up a whole can of worms, right? Because a lot of people still think the goal of employer brand is to fill the top of the funnel. And if you are one of those people, please start to adjust that. That's not the way that is that's really more recruitment marketing and that is in a lot of ways that is recruitment marketing thinking which is mostly more american than european at the moment Um, history lessons we don't need Uh, it's all about filling the top of the funnel right and it's all about how do you serve the recruiter but people in employer brand who know how to think and see and have seen opportunities where the employer brand has bigger value or more value beyond top of the funnel, things like retention, things like morale, things like direction, things like, well, honestly, there's lots of good good reasons for employer brand. If you think it's about filling the top of the funnel, it's a very limited viewpoint, at which point the scoring system is actually fairly simple because you've made such a constraint, i.e. the goal is to fill the top of the funnel, um, that scoring is is relatively relatively easy, and in fact, I would say it's too easy because it's very easy to fill a funnel. All you have to do is buy some ads. Pa boom. Okay, let's complicate things and say the metric there is number of number of um, funnel fillage, some sort of number, right? Number of applicants per you know rec divided by the dollar per wreck of marketing right now now you're starting to see an efficiency metric that's interesting right you say okay if i spend four dollars to get five people that's a fairly efficient means of getting people to fill the funnel you think about plenty of roles where it costs hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of ads and marketing and and branding and swag and what have you to get people to fill the top of the funnel get one person just to apply um that's that's the high range The low range might be that you are actually driving people to apply without spending any money. Either you're going full organic or you're simply leveraging the power of your brand in non-budgetary means, right? You've got a great consumer halo. You've got a great location. um, Your logo is cool looking, whatever. I mean, you you know what I'm talking about. And then the fact that you're spending less money shows that your efficiency of employer brand, the actual value impact of your employer brand is helping to fill the funnel and cost-effective means. Now, of course, you should probably take your salary as an employer brander and throw it in there and divide that, but that's a whole set of math that I'm not going to get into because I'm not the math guy. Love metrics. Don't like math. <laughs> I, I don't get it either. Anywho, so if you think it's just about filling the funnel, you're right. It's fairly easy to come up with some metrics to say how well you're doing. But I, again, I don't think it's about filling the funnel. I think it's a much, much bigger picture. And when I think about employer branding, when I think about what the real purpose of employer branding ultimately is. The holistic and, you know, it's not just, you know, we talked about episode 100 that it's about showing that your company, you know, gives a crap about something. Yes, I think that's valid in a way, but here's another thing that might be perhaps more valid. Your employer brand is all the stuff you do to make your company a desirable place to work. Okay, hold on. Hold your horses. I just pretty much endorsed a great place to work, a best place to work, most ideal employer, all of these awards and, and all these different rating systems, some of which are valid, some of which are fuzzy, some of which are pay to play, which immediately makes my red flags go up. But anyway, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is because we know we've talked about that whole best place to work thing, right? That That is a, a fake number because when you who is it? I was talking to somebody I can't tell you who I was talking to somebody and they say the concern is for some many companies is that we've built this kind of Standard best practice checklist of what a best place to work is. For example, you must have a four hundred and one k. You must do volunteer days. You must have um, programs in place that you know are, are socially aware. You must be ecologically sound, right? You must. There are certain things you must do, and everybody. The rating systems, right? These 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 rating agencies say this is how well you're doing on. Um, corporate social responsibility. This is how well you're doing on volunteerism. This is how well you're doing on DNI. Now, this isn't a question of, is d good? It is absolutely good. The question is, how is it applied? And that's a whole other, you know, complicated mess I don't want to get into at the moment. But, the, let's take volunteerism. Now, at my one job I've had, they took great, great, great pride in how many volunteer hours their staff were giving while on the clock, so to speak. Very, very great pleasure. Just absolutely, literally, almost ad campaigns. Their LinkedIn channels were dripping with, this is how many hours we've given back to the community. Which is great, I guess. But I'm not a, I want to use my work time to give back to the community. I want to use my work time to do work. I want to do better work. I want to push myself to do better work. That's the kind of person I am. So if the model is a great place to work is a place that celebrates volunteerism, Where does that leave someone like me? I want to volunteer on my off time so that I can pick where I volunteer, so I can pick how I want to volunteer, so I can pick how to use my time. On a certain level, the fact that I'm using my quote-unquote work time to volunteer kind of negates the value of my volunteering because I'm not really giving up much other than my productivity, which to me, of course, is valuable, but it's not the same as flat-out money or time. But we assume that companies, that, that this is the, the having a volunteer program, a volunteerism program, is inherently a good thing that every company should do. It is the checkbox. It's like the metrics I see that say, Are you doing great employer branding? And they have a list of 20 or 30 things that you're quote unquote supposed to do. And if you don't do all of them, you don't rank well. And I'm not even going to get into who that is because that's not even important. But it's like, Hey, do you have a CRM? Do you email your, your candidates regularly? Do you have a stated policy? Uh, policy on uh feedback do you have it's like okay that's a way of doing things and in in a lot of ways that is the easiest way to get to the middle of the pack it's a way of saying i followed the rules i did what you're quote unquote supposed to do and therefore i must have a great employer brand but do you that's about input not about output Right? To say that you check the boxes isn't about saying you've done them effectively. It isn't about saying you're communicating who you are. It's not about how smart are you being about using your resources or telling a story or connecting with the right kinds of people or even understanding who the right kinds of people are. You're just playing follow the leader. And as you all know, my feelings on follow the leader is it's great if you're the leader. It sucks for everybody else. And chances are you're not the leader, so don't play that game. It's rigged. So if you try and play follow the leader, if you try and do what you're supposed to do, you never get very far. And I'm going to double down on that by saying not only are you are not going to get very far, you're not going to tell a compelling story. For example, video. And hey, Elena Valentine, if you listen to it, I don't know when you listen to this, but um, let's fight about this one day. Um, video is something that I think most companies should do. I'm not a video guy personally. I don't think I like to watch a lot of videos. You know what I like to watch? I like to watch people do drum covers. I like to watch stand-up comedy. I like to see blooper reels. There's a guy in Britain who talks about coffee who makes me crazy, who I think is amazing. Um, That's what I want to watch videos about. To watch a video about why people want to work at this company or what our company does, it's not a video that really gets my juices going. I can see the value of it if I'm trying to research a company. I'm like, okay, the information exists within a video, therefore I must watch the video to get it. That means the content is, you know, I'm not interested in video, but that's where the content is, so that's what I'm gonna do. And the truth is saying I do video is a checkbox somewhere on somebody's list of this is how you activate an employer brand. And you and I both know that there are plenty of great videos, and they're even more crap videos the fact that you did a video does not make your brand stronger if you did a crappy video it probably makes your employer brand weaker and in fact you should have not done anything at all and saved yourself both the misery the resources and even the hit on your employer brand okay i'm wandering far afield so i want to pull it back a bit let's get back to that metric What is the – and that's a thing you're using to grade the score of your employer brand. So what do you want your employer brand to do? And this is – I had a moment where I went, that's kind of a thought and I can't shake it. And so I bring it to you so maybe you and I can talk about this. And it's this idea that ultimately the goal of employer brand isn't to fill the top of the funnel. But it is to make someone want to work there right your goal is to is to talk about why people want to work there but your goal is to get certain people to want to work there and i mean fall in love with the idea of this company of what it's offering and what it does your goal is to make this company so attractive to certain people that they don't care about the little problems with it they don't they see the issues they see the 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 net, the downside right the opportunity cost the downside and the things that aren't perfect but they still go i still want to work there and it's a lot of ways we kind of lump that in with mission. I want to work there because I want to make a lot of money, or I want to save the earth, or I want this kind of community or this kind of culture. I want this thing, um, or the purpose of our company is to save the whales or save the, the trees or to save you know the vaccine or whatever it is. It's you know that's a purpose-driven thing, and we've conflated purpose with desire. I mean, I get how you get there. You know, a purpose is very attractive, but ultimately a purpose is usually a little more broad than what I can do, right? If I join the Red Cross, am I individually saving lives? Nah. I'm probably running some marketing campaigns to help attract more people to give more blood that will eventually save lives. Am I saving lives? Not directly, but fairly indirectly. And maybe I don't feel like every day is not going to be I saved that person's life. So leaning on purpose is always a tough thing to do because it assumes and presupposes that everyone is doing the work that directly saves those lives or if your purpose is to um i don't know move fast and break things i can imagine there's some lawyers in there going don't break that (laughs) right (laughs) there's gonna be some hr people saying do not do not move that fast that is way too fast we're gonna get sued right there are parts of that that don't feel like they're embracing that purpose but it is about desire even if you're not connected to the purpose, even if the purpose is I want this company to make a lot of money or I want this company to be bigger, if the purpose is, and we're going to Amazon here, if the purpose is to make the biggest store in the world, which, let's be fair, isn't exactly setting my heart afire, it isn't exactly saving saving, the world, but it's still their purpose, Their mission is to make, Amazon's mission is to make the biggest store in the world. Presumably their outcomes and knock-on effects of it lowers costs and make things more efficient, etc., etc., but their purpose is to make, you know, to pioneer, but to make the biggest store in the world. Again, that's not very purpose-driven, but that is their purpose. So again, purpose is not necessarily the same as desire. Because there are plenty of people, and let's be fair, they work at Amazon, who want and desire to make the biggest store in the world, to make their piece of the store the best, the most effective, the most useful, the most interesting, the most whatever, The but the best store in the world, their particular piece of that Amazon world. And that's what drives them. That's what motivates them. That's what moves them. It's their purpose, I guess. And you can find some sort of tenuous connection between Amazon's purpose. But ultimately, the concept of purpose— it's a it's a misdirect it's not real cuz ultimately we're saying what we want is for people to want to work here Can we agree on that idea that the job of employer brand is to get certain people to want to work here? We inform them about what it's like to work here. We inspire them to you know to to see the possibilities in working here. We offer them the viewpoints of other people to say this is what their experiences are. Perhaps they will be your experiences. To say that these people are happy, so people maybe that they will look like you, and so therefore you can see how you might be happy here. Right? All of our employer brand is to get people to want to work here. And thus, if they want to work here, they're more likely to apply. And therein lies my kind of uh, issue with candidate experience because I think candidate experience doesn't kind of get to the heart of if you get people to want to work somewhere, the candidate experience isn't as important. right? If my dream job says the ATS process is onerous, it takes 45 minutes, but I know that at the end of it, I got a shot at my dream job, I don't mind it. But if I'm talking to a black hole, if I don't really want to work there, if I don't know, have enough information about this company that I want to work there, I don't know if, I, if I don't have enough insight into the role to want to work you hear, hear the word want, you hear the word, ah, I want that thing, right? I want a new thing. I want that thing. If you can't get me to that point, yeah, canned experience is important because you look like every other company and people desire you roughly the same. Right? If you're choosing between, say, uh, you know, if you're choosing between working at Ford versus Fiat Chrysler, and to you, you don't know the difference or don't realize that they have slightly different cultures or radically different cultures. I don't have enough insight on either of them, but they both make similar things. Do you want to work at one over the other, or do you just want to work? Right? Those are different things. In which case, if you just want to work and you're going to apply that energy whatever company has an opportunity, that's one thing. But that's not employer brand. Employer brand is making people want to work at your company, your brand, at your opportunity to see something that other people can't see, to, to feel some sort of part of them, to see, feel fulfilled, to feel connected, to, to serve their own intrinsic motivations. That's the goal of employer brand. Okay. If you'd like to quibble with this, please feel free. Twitter, LinkedIn, website, all sorts of places. Anyway, getting back. So if that is the goal of employer brand, how do you measure desire? Okay, and this is where economics kind of kicks in. Just don't leave yet. Because I love economics, because it's complicated and it's a lot of bullshit, but it's also a lot of smart thinking. Um, It's sometimes hard to tell the difference. But anyway, we all remember—well, maybe you don't. And frankly, for some of you, you've tried very hard to block those systems out. In fact, frankly, some of your drinking is there to kill those particular brain cells of memories. But you may remember the supply and demand curve, right? If there is more demand for something— supply stays, price goes up, right? If I have 10 apples and nobody wants those apples, I have to lower the price in order to get people to go, yeah, okay, I'll have an apple. But if everybody wants the apples, I can raise my price to $10 an apple and just because I wanna maximize my value, I wanna maximize my return. If that's the most people will pay for an apple, $10 for an apple and I can sell my 10 apples, that's what I'm going to do. If no one wants them at 10, I bring them down to nine. If they demand more, I can raise my price. So that's how price and demand are connected in supply. Now, the nice thing about the supply and demand curve is that it kind of always works. <laughs> it really does. I mean, there are some weird, interesting places where uh, where they, it breaks a bit, but the nice thing about the supply and demand curve for us is that the supply is steady. Let me explain. If Okay, let's take iPhones, right? Remember when iPhones came out and they were the brand new thing, and you're going to charge five hundred dollars, six hundred dollars for a phone, and you went, "That's nuts!" But everybody wanted them, so Apple was allowed to charge what they wanted. the The demand was such, and the supply, you know, the demand was such that people accepted the price. But they changed the supply. They actually, over time, started to limit capacity so that they could get people lining up at the store on launch day because they knew the value, the media value of people lining up for amazing phone, right, is valuable. So they held the supply down, kept the price high, and the demand kept increasing. So that's how they were able to kind of generate value against supply. But for jobs, you've only got the one job. Right? Oh, you might say, I have 100 jobs, or I might have 1,000 jobs in my ATS, but they're not interchangeable. If I'm a lawyer, I can only apply for lawyer jobs, or I should only apply for lawyer jobs. I sh- probably should not apply for the data science job. If I'm a data scientist and I have experience in data science and i never done any sales, I should not apply for the sales management job. Right? There's o- probably only one, maybe two, if you stretch it, depending on the size of the company, job for me. Thus, the supply of that job is one. Let's keep it simple. Let's just say it's one. We can quibble about that later. Again, Twitter, LinkedIn, all those places. So if the supply remains the same and you want to measure demand, hmm, how do we measure demand? Well, let's think about that. If I have one of something, let's say it's the apple again, and everybody wants it, you have an auction. That's the way to maximize your return on that particular item, right? It, you can say whether it's a Dutch auction or a regular auction, whatever, but you don't just say the apple's worth 10 and someone buys it immediately and you go, oh, I probably could have charged 12 for that. i ah, I lost my opportunity. If you only have one of something, if you have a Van Gogh, if you have a rare painting, if you have something that there's only one of, you have an auction because that's how you maximize the return. People can fight over each other and you can find who wants the thing the most and has the most resources to apply to it. That's let's not get into that right so almost what hap- what would happen if you took your job and put it out there what if you said i have a data science job who wants it and you get a bunch of hands saying yeah i'll take that i, I you know that sounds like a fine job i will totally take that job maybe you get 10 hands raised well you only have one job and 10 people want that job How do you make sure that you're maximizing value? Well, what you would do is you would have a reverse auction. You say, how much would you do that for? And someone says, I will do it for, and I'm going to use fake numbers. I'm going to do it for a million dollars. And someone says, I can do it for half a million dollars. And somebody else goes, "Ah, I can do it for a quarter million dollars. And someone goes, I can do it for $100,000. And suddenly a lot of people get quiet because they're like, really? You're going to do it for $100,000? You know how much those jobs can pay? And someone says, I'll do it for $50,000. And the room goes still because that's how this story goes apparently. You've now determined what the amount of desire is because you've determined how little you can charge or how little you can pay for that service. right? You need a data science and there's a glut of data scientists. You can lower the salary on that. and if your demand is high enough and the supply is low, you can charge what you want. And in a lot of ways, that's kind of what the whole essential worker is, is, there are too many people willing to do the job, and therefore the supply and demand curve got all wonky, which is unfortunate because we need those people because they work in grocery stores, and that's how we all stay fed, but that's a separate conversation. Anywho, how many separate conversations can a man have in one podcast? Let's find out. Just kidding. But now we start to see that the goal, the metric, the score of how strong your employer brand is, that is the demand of people wanting to work there, Maybe salary. And if you take this idea and you stretch it to its in its in, in, in infinite directions both ways, you can see the best employer brand is the one where people would be willing to work there for no salary. Right? See what I did there? Your employer brand is so much. There's so many people want to work at that place. They would undercut themselves. The, their willingness to take that job is worth so much that they'd be willing to take less money to take that job. The desire to take that nurse job, that machine learning job, that whatever that job is, is such that they would sacrifice some of their salary, or in this case, all of their salary, to take that job. Presumably, they seem some sort of ancillary outside benefit to that. But then again, that's called an internship. Let's not get into that. Um, but that's how you know lots of demand. Therefore, this is a great employer brand. There's lots of demand for the shop. Lots of people want to work for that job. Now, take it the other way. If people don't want to work at that place, shouldn't the salaries go up? And we've seen that in other places. There's plenty of survey data that says, if your employer brand is weak, or if you have a low glass door score, you have to pay a premium on salary to get people to consider applying. That if you work for um, Puppy Kicking Co. Um, down the street, nobody wants to work at Puppy Kicking Co. because you got to kick a puppy. My gosh, why would you want to kick a puppy? But oh, they make you want to kick the pu- they make you kick the puppies all day to do the job. Well, if you're going to take that job, they better pay you a lot of money so that you can assuage your your guilt and your soul and maybe give some of that money to puppy not kicking charities I guess anyway that's a tweet that's a random conversation right you have they have to charge you they have to pay you a premium to take those jobs jobs where no one wants to apply where there's no demand for that job they have to elevate the prices in order to generate the demand now the ways you generate demand are price or desire and there you can see, if you're doing a great job and you're increasing your desire for that job and that company, you can lower the salary. If you lower the demand or interest in, you know, in the, the desire for that job, you have to raise the salary in order to fill the talent pool. So therefore, perhaps the score on employer branding is the premium or discount you could charge to get people to apply for these jobs. Did not see that coming, did you? I know I didn't. I mean, I, I mean, in the podcast I knew, but when I thought of that, I thought, I'm like, what? How? It, wow, that's weird. Because that's not at all how we think, is it? Employer branders rarely say, because I'm doing a great job increasing the demand, which, by the way, let's be fair, most of us don't do a great job thinking that our job is to increase demand and desire and people do want to work at the job. And now this is now a, the want. is a running joke. Here we are. But it is. That's all true. The job of an employer brander is to increase the desire to work at that company for the right people. Let's not forget that part. And the way you could measure the desire is by what people are willing to be paid to take that job. The premiums and discounts that your company has to apply to salary or can apply to salary in order to fill its talent needs is a great metric for employer brander. But of course, that's impossible. right you, you you're not holding many job auctions are you in order to find out what is the level of demand but i think it's interesting because there's a company out there who i've already mentioned once but i might as well um who breaks this rule and i think it's fascinating because i love it when um you set a system and it makes a lot of sense and then you find an example where it breaks the rule, and you kind of go is this the you know is this the exception that proves the rule or is this a function of my rule my my model's broken and that is facebook Facebook, who, according to Blind, according to uh, the techs you know, and the devs and the coders um, who complain and, and whine about stuff, um, will tell you that Facebook is the highest-paying company to work for. They like to compare salaries between Facebooks and the rest of the the big-name companies, the Amazons, the Apples, the, the, the you know, whatever, right? Taking a sip of coffee. And we all know people want to work there. Let's be fair. Facebook has people just dumping resumes on them. They have no lack of people applying for jobs. So if they have such a high supply, why do they have to pay a premium, or why do they feel the need to pay a premium? And there's a whole conversation of is this going to drive loyalty? Is this going to keep them there? There are people who are who are driven purely by salary, and therefore this is how they maximize. People driven by salary, and there's 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 that conversation. But I think it's interesting that this is something of the exception that proves the rule. This idea that if you know how strong your brand is, or if you know that your employer brand is strong, you could potentially make the case for starting to cut or limiting or discounting some starting salaries. Now, as a human being, don't do that. I mean, that's a horrible idea. Pay people as much as you can. That's how the economy works. It's not by paying companies, it's by paying people, because people spend money better. Um, but I think it's an interesting way to look at the power of employer brand or an interesting way to measure how effective your employer brand is. Uh, this is a wild one. This is a big swing, right? And so again, please, Twitter. LinkedIn, all the places I'm online. Come find me. Um, Let's talk about this. I think this is an interesting idea, this idea of premiums and discounts and and that the purpose of employer brand is to drive demand and desire. So let's talk about that. Maybe uh, next week we'll get more into that desire stuff. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Go take a look at the book stuff on Amazon. Um, I think it's, I tried to price things to make it incredibly valuable for you, incredibly useful. So uh, hopefully you get something out of that. Otherwise, I will see you next week. Bye-bye. This has been an episode of The Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple of ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter, at TheWarForTalent. You can go to the podcast website at TheTalentCast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to EmployerBrand.News and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn and just say hello or... Let's just talk. That's linkedin.com slash in slash the war for talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me. Let me know what's going on. Thank you if you've shared it. Please share if you haven't. Rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week.